I have a question I want you to think about. Uh, you won't have to think far back into the past. Uh, how was your morning this morning getting ready to come to church? Uh, was it frazzled? Was, uh, was there some, some uh, arguing within the family? Was there uh, um, any fighting going on? Were you here early? Were you here late? Um, what are you thinking about right now? Uh, you're going out to eat after, you got some big vacation coming up. What, what is in your head right now in this moment? Lunch plans? Anybody plan to take the pastor out to lunch today? Just wondering. Um, you know, it can re be really hard to focus on what we need to focus on when we need to focus on it sometimes, can't it? Uh, there are so many distractions in our world, so much activity, so many things, so, so, many, so much stuff on our calendar. And, you know, life isn't perfect, even with our best efforts on a Sunday morning or even a Saturday night. How did your, did you think consciously last night, hey, tomorrow's church, I know, I need to get my head in the right place. I need to be well rested so when I come to church in the morning, I don't, you know, I don't fall asleep during the sermon uh, or, or whatever. Um, did, your, did your preparation for being here together with the congregation start last night? Did it start this morning? Did you, you know, wake up at five, seven, nine? You know, um, what, what, what was that like? Now, I, I bet most of us don't realize this, but when we come to church on a Sunday morning, we come to a very dangerous place. Now, don't tell our insurance agent that. In fact, our soon-to-be new one, whoever that is going to be, um, don't tell them that, but this is a dangerous place. Now, Eugene Peterson, a pastor and author, he put it this way. Sometimes I think that all religious sites should be posted with signs reading, beware the God. The places and occasions that people gather to attend to God are dangerous. They're glorious places and occasions, true, but they're also dangerous. Danger signs should be conspicuously placed as they are at nuclear power stations. Religion is the death of some people. Beware the God. In the book of Exodus, Moses goes up on a mountain to meet with God, right? Um, they're out there in the desert. What a privilege. But at the same time, the reality is Moses is going up the mountain to meet God. In fact, the people were warned to stay away, not just them, but keep the animals away from the mountain because God's presence is going to be there. We read in Exodus 19 that the, the mountain was wrapped in smoke and that God descended in fire and that the entire mountain trembled. The, the sound in, of itself had to be overwhelming and, and God warned the people to stay back, and even if an animal approached the mountain, they would have to be stoned to death. Beware the God. 
I just, I, I wasn't going to say it, but I, I really love the illustration that C.S. Lewis puts in the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when, when Lucy and, and her siblings are, are having this conversation with these two beavers and, of course, talking animals in, in the Chronicles of Narnia. And, and they're talking about Aslan, who is this, this lion figure in C.S. Lewis's writings. And, and Aslan is... God. He is the figure in those stories for God. And, and Lucy says, uh, you know, in, they're talking about meeting Aslan. And, and Lucy says, is he safe? And, and Mrs. Beaver says, oh, oh, no, dear. He's not safe, but he's good. He's not safe, but he's good. And, and, and one of the things that I've just kind of wrestled with is, have we lost our fear, healthy, reverent sense definition of fear of God? Do we treat him too flippantly in our world and in our gatherings? Uh, it, it is up to you to make that determination for yourself personally. I don't know where everyone is, but I know that as I have been wrestling with this this week, that, 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 the, that the, the, the attack of the enemy has been pretty palpable. Um, I don't know if I was hard to live with, but um, I, I, I could tell myself that, that there was just something kind of off this week. And I, I basically tried to attribute it to, to the lack of sleep, which adds to it. But, but I think there was more to that. So, so think about this. Have you ever given thought that it might be dangerous to worship God? Um, when is the last time you gave conscious effort to consider that you were coming to church on a Sunday morning to gather with the congregation and to together worship and praise and honor and learn about the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the sovereign power, all-knowing, all-present, all loving, forgiving, but also just. Because you see, the God that we learn about in the New Testament is the same God from the Old Testament. He doesn't change. He deals with humanity, I think, differently. And, and though we're going to see that, that our services are different than what theirs were, uh, we need to take very seriously the fact that that we come to come before the God of the universe. Now, um, we need to, of course, frame all of this uh, that we hear today in the truth that is the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, he did what only he could do and what needed to be done in order for us to be reconciled to an all-powerful, perfect, and righteous God. Jesus came. God came to the earth. Emmanuel, God with us. He gave up his power. He gave up his place in heaven for a period of time to do only what he could do and what needed to be done. And that was a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And Jesus did that. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no, no one comes to the Father except through him. We must remember that. And, and he is incredible, incredibly loving and forgiving. But like that first song that we sang, we should not abuse his mercy. We should not take advantage of the fact that God is merciful and gracious. 
but we should rest in it. When the enemy wants to condemn us, we bow before him and and we uh, experience his grace and his forgiveness. And when we repent, he is faithful and just and he purifies us from all unrighteousness. Let us not forget that as we are challenged in the area of living life solely under the sun. Um, We've been challenged immensely in the past several months in regard to our sinfulness, our ungodliness. You know, we are ungodly when we do anything in life without being conscious of God. That has just been, I mean, it can make you feel terrible. Kind of like maybe the teacher Solomon is, is feeling here. We, we can't allow Satan to take that reality and snatch our hope and peace away because our hope and peace leaves because we forget that Jesus is merciful and gracious. We have to rest in that in our life every day. Um, the fact that we often stride through life not even thinking about God, let alone surrendering and submitting to him in all things and in every way. Now, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, if you would, and we're going to be in chapter 5. This has been a strong challenge in regard to our attitudes and our posture towards God, and today is no exception to that. I have had lots of people tell me in the last couple of weeks, I have never heard I've never been to a church that that actually preached through the book of Ecclesiastes. So I don't know if we're just crazy or or what, but um, God, you know, I know pastors who their goal is to preach through every book of the Bible. I would love to by the time I, if I have enough life left in me um, to do that. Um, So as we ended last week, I mentioned uh, those four areas that Solomon reflected on where emptiness and and dissatisfaction were common. And the reality is that that there can be confusion in all of those areas. We we just kind of wonder what's going on. How can this be? How how can this be true? Um, And and that comes from the fact that, well, we're all human. And and many times we're a part of that confusion. We do stupid stuff. We... We act foolishly. We make terrible decisions. And, and uh, one of the reasons why we come here on a Sunday morning and we gather or we listen to a pastor talk about the word of God is so that we can kind of refocus. We can be challenged. We can go, okay, yeah, I needed to hear that. You know, believer and non-believer alike, we're not perfect, but all of us are here today and gone tomorrow as a vapor. Uh, everything under the sun experienced and lived only within our human abilities and capacities will always end up empty. It will always end in dissatisfaction. And we will always be clamoring for more as smoke, hevel, the word for meaningless or vanity in your English translations. So Solomon, last week, very quickly we saw that he visited the courtroom, the marketplace, the highway, and the palace. Now, I'm, I'm learning after a lot of years of being a pastor that one just can't decide that he's going to preach through two chapters of the Bible and do it in a timely fashion. So this morning, I'm focusing on chapter 5. There is a discussion guide in your uh, worship folder this morning that covers some questions for chapter 6. 
So I'm going to leave it to you this week to read through and, and, and meditate on chapter 6 and get what the Lord would teach you in that, and then next week we'll pick up in chapter 7. Um, so in today's chapter, uh, Solomon pays a visit to the temple, a place of worship. Um, now in his day, Solomon actually oversaw the building, the rebuilding of the temple. I mean, he, he was vested in it. Uh, in more ways than one. I'm sure time, sacrifice, definitely um, materials and, and money. Um, in, and it was a magnificent structure that was the temple. And it was the place where God, God's presence resided. Now, it's different in, in the way that God interacts with us today in that, that God's presence is here, but but. It's different. You know, we can be in the presence of God here, where there when they were in God's presence as he was in the temple, if, if you weren't, if you hadn't gone through what you needed to go through, you would not survive that interaction. Similar to Moses on, on the mountain. Um, God still interacts with us, but differently today. And, and Solomon, as he's, he's observing the temple, as he writes in chapter 5, he observes people coming and going, just as we do in our places of worship today. He, he observed them praising God. He observed them praying. He observed them making sacrifices. He observed them making vows in the temple. And he makes the observation that not all who went to the temple really cared that they were going to the temple. They weren't really very sincere. They, they, were, uh, they were hypocritical. Um, they, their acts of worship were mundane, and when they entered, they were actually robbing God of the reverence and honor that he deserved. In fact, it reminded me of a passage that, that uh, we looked at many years ago in the book of Isaiah. So if you would, um, if you've found Ecclesiastes 5, go forward, I believe it's two books, to the book of Isaiah chapter 1. And, and I want to read for you uh, eight verses in chapter 1, starting in verse 11. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. The prophet Isaiah writes, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. But, but wait a minute, God, you said that people are supposed to bring those sacrifices to you. And God here is saying, I have no pleasure in those. When you come to appear before me, verse 12, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. 
plead the case of the widow. It's not empty religion that God wants from us. It's not motion. It's our heart. It's our attitude. It's our priorities. I heard an author summarize this. God says, basically, I'm choking on your goats. It's not the goats I'm after. It's your heart. Where are our hearts this morning as we come together as the congregation to worship the God of the universe? And how do we prepare? Even though the way God dwells among us is different than it was in Solomon's time, we have to remember that when we gather together, he is here. He is here with us, and and it is an affront to God, and it negatively affects the community when we come here with willing and willful sin in our hearts, and, and we think that we're somehow worshiping and glorifying God by going through the actions when the reality is our heart is dark. We must remember who God is and who we are in relation to him. The first thing Solomon, if you turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, cautions us against is robbing God. Don't rob the Lord. Don't rob the Lord. Verse 1, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Ouch, right? Um, No one likes to be called a fool, but man, maybe fool is better than intentional and outright rebellion, but it's still not a good thing to aspire to. And, And we, of course, we don't sacrifice animals anymore like Isaiah was talking about, um, because Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies on our behalf. Um, Jesus was the final perfect sacrifice, well, the only perfect sacrifice through his death and resurrection on the cross. But we do offer sacrifices on a daily basis. Um, Hebrews says that we are all priests today. We don't need to go to a priest so we can interact with God. We have been given that ability ourselves, individually. We can interact with God. And as such, we offer sacrifices to Jesus with our bodies. In offering sacrifices, there's three things that I want to mention this morning. We must be careful not to, to rob God in the offering of sacrifices. Let, let's, let's just look, what, what does the offering of a sacrifice look like for us today, for you? Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So so not conforming to the pattern of the world. Seeking God in a humble way to to be obedient to him. That's 
in essence, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, living for him, not living for ourselves, but living for him, bearing witness to the world of Jesus' love and forgiveness and his offering of relationship and forgiveness. That is an offering of sacrifice. That is us being a living sacrifice. Romans 15, verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, Paul says, He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit when we're sanctified by him, when we surrender our our life over to him. That is an offering of sacrifice. And, And we give financially, when we give of our tithes and our offerings, that which we have agreed with God to, to give for out of what he has blessed us with is an offering of sacrifice. Uh, Philippians 4.18, Paul says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am, he's talking about gifts that have been given him to, to fund, to help support his ministry. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. When, when we, with the with the 22% of your general giving on a Sunday morning, send that to to missionaries. Um, We are helping you sacrifice and bring an offering to God in supporting their mission worldwide. When When we praise God with our words and voices and we do good works, that is an offering of sacrifice. Hebrews 13 Verses 15 and 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. When we approach God with broken and humble hearts... It's an offering of sacrifice. Psalm 51, verse 17. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. If we come arrogantly, if we, if we come thinking we don't need forgiveness for the sin that we're willfully committing and that we don't need to bow before him in a humble and broken state, then we need to reread Psalm 51, and we need to recognize that, that when we come before God broken and real, that that is a, an offering of sacrifice. And then finally, when we pray prayers of faith, it is an offering of sacrifice. Look at uh, Psalm 141, verses 1 and 2. I call you, Lord. Come quickly to me. Hear me when I call you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. The offering of our sacrifices now aren't in an effort to earn favor from God. They aren't in an effort to justify ourselves before him or, or somehow work our way to our salvation. No, we, we don't sacrifice to and for God because of some supernatural 
competition to beat everybody else out. And, 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 and if only just only I could be the one, I could be so good that I could be the one that's included in that 265,000 or that million or whatever number somebody has said out there. If I could just beat everybody else out and be that, I don't even have to be the top dog. I just, just want to be in the, in the pen. I want to be in the kennel. No, that's not why we sacrifice. No, we sacrifice because we love God and we can love God because we have experienced his love ourselves. We love because God first loved us. We sacrifice in gratitude and reverence to our creator and sovereign God. And it's very important that we Listen a lot, Solomon says. Not so much talk a lot, but listen a lot. What does God want? What kind of mission has he put us on? And, and may it be his mission, not ours. Because if we don't listen for God's guidance, we can often end up honestly wasting time and effort for something that God doesn't want us to do. Because we came up with that thing. Um, I wanted to justify myself. I, my identity was in that thing that I'm doing or, or I, I say that that's God, what God wants me to do, but really in reality, it's what I want to do. We need to humbly come before him and say, God, help me out here. You know me, God. I'm, I'm prideful. I'm arrogant. I, you got to help me because in my head, I know that what, what's best for me is to want what you want. But, but my heart and, and, and my sin just keeps jumping in the way of that. Help me to live for you. In the end of God's words through Isaiah, what, what God says that he desires is obedience. Not religious activity, not not. Not the sacrifice itself. It's, it's in what happens as you bring the sacrifice. It's how you bring the sacrifice. Our mission, our purpose, our faith, our sacrifice, our worship. All of these other things, they'll be added, right? When we seek first the kingdom of God, all these other things will be added. Off of ourselves and onto God. Don't rob the Lord in the offering of your sacrifices. Another way that we can rob God is with careless prayer. Verses two and three do not be quick with your mouth, do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares. And many words mark the speech of a fool. Just this morning I said, it's, I didn't say much because it's better to be thought a fool than to open my mouth and remove all doubt. Sometimes that's true in our spiritual life and our relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, I guess ultimately he knows. It isn't fancy words and eloquent prayers that God wants. If you're new in the faith, if you're new in a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're worried about praying around other people because you don't know exactly what you should or might say, God, it's not your words. It's not our words. It's our heart. 
It isn't a show for others to hear and see. We pray before and to our all-powerful God. So guard against both hasty words and too many words, Solomon says. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, said this, In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Prayer can be silent and quiet in our minds and in our hearts because, you see, God can read our minds. The enemy cannot, but we can pray silently, and God knows and hears. Charles Spurgeon said, It is not the length of our prayers, but the strength of our prayers that makes a difference. Don't rob God in the offering of our sacrifices Don't rob God by praying carelessly. And a third way we want to avoid robbing God is in making vows to the Lord. Now, I'm not referring to bargaining with God because sometimes we do that in a weak moment. God, if you'll just get me out of this situation, I'll I'll be a missionary wherever you want me to go unless it's Africa. I don't want to go there. But, But I'll go anywhere you want me to go if you'll get me out of this situation. So that's not what making vows to God means. No, a vow is simply a commitment. It is an act of devotion. Verse 4, when you make a vow to God, do not, and this stuff is in the New Testament too. I'm not going to the New Testament today, but, but this is, Jesus taught all of this. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. I accidentally made that commitment. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless, therefore fear God. The preacher is cautioning us against two sins when it comes to making a vow. The first one, of course, is don't lie to God. Don't make a vow when you don't have any intention in fulfilling it. Those are just empty words. You know, when we make a promise to somebody, our children, a friend, a neighbor, a boss, when we say, I'll take care of that, we need to take care of that. Uh, sometimes we say it because we think that's what they want to hear, um, but, but really, if we're really honest with ourselves, we have no intention of doing that thing that I just said that I would do. That's, that's wrong, and sometimes we do that with God when we make vows. A second thing that the, the, preacher, the teacher says is, don't make a vow and then delay keeping it. You know, like, if I wait long enough, maybe they'll forget I made the commitment, right? Or maybe they'll just let me off the hook. Yeah, well, I see your life's kind of gotten complicated, so, you know, that's okay. And, and we could be gracious in that way. But when we make a vow to God, you know, we need to be serious about it. When we make commitments to God, may we do all we can to fulfill those commitments that we made. Solomon cautions us not to rob God. He also, number two, cautions us to not rob others. Um, If you see the poor, verse eight, oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both 
are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. I mean, the, the teacher's pointing out that this stuff is a reality. This stuff happens. Uh, people use their power for self-promotion and advantage. I mean, it's easy to it's easy to point to politicians because they're I mean they're really out there and 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 everybody's interested in in whose pocket they have their hand in, right? I mean that's a running joke. You can tell how cold it is in the wintertime because it must be really cold because the politicians have their hands in their own pockets, right? But here's the truth about politicians. There's always another politician who has more power than they do across the board. And, and if you're the most powerful politician on the planet, guess what? God's not a politician, but he is much more powerful. There is always somebody of greater power. So at the very least, we need to evaluate our lives and correct those areas where we fall into this category of wielding our power unfairly towards other people. Um, Paul and, uh, Solomon is not saying um, this is how we should live. He's saying this is the reality of life. And that, that we need to change course. Uh, in Scripture, we often see God's heart for widows and orphans, don't we? He, he, uh, he loves widows and orphans, and we're, we're called to uh, care for those who are oppressed, for those who have no one to stand with them. So let's see through the eyes of God and let's reach out to those people who need it. Let's, let's help those who have no one else to help them. And, and if you are in a position of power, surrender your decisions and that power to God because he's the one who put you in that place in the first place. You are only where you are because God has put you there. Oh, yeah, but I worked really hard. Yeah, I know. I know you did, but while you worked really hard, you worked with those things that God gave you. Dads, moms, business owners, bosses, anyone who has someone with less power than you, under you, so to speak, serve them. What if we started every day and, and we had the goal to see how much better we could make life for other people around us than for ourselves? To truly be a channel of God's grace into the lives of other people instead of a reservoir in our own life of all of those things that he has given us and he is blessing us with. What did Jesus do of all people who could have said, worship me, fan me, keep me cool, feed me, bring me, he would be the one, right? And, and we, we should graciously do that because he is the God of the universe. But what does Jesus say? What does Jesus do? He washes the stinky feet of men who constantly put their feet in their mouths. He serves them. He loves them. Peter denies Jesus three times. And what does Jesus do? He restores him. He lifts him up. And Peter becomes the rock. Not the rock we have today. The rock. God doesn't love you any less than he loved Peter. Jesus served us, and just as Jesus was and is patient and forgiving, 
to us, let us do the same for others. Let's not rob others of the grace that we have experienced. Let's extend that same grace into the lives of other people around us. Because if we don't, we're robbing them. Robbing them of the gifts that God has positioned us to give to them as a channel of his grace. To be channels and not reservoirs. Don't rob God. Don't rob others. And finally, don't rob yourself. Don't rob yourself. It's like we've heard these things before, right? If we continue to read, because um, Solomon repeats some of the things concerning wealth. I mean, he had a lot of it. A lot. You know, we think, well, who's going to be the first billionaire on our planet? Well, he's already been lived and died. His name was Solomon. He, he does repeat some of the things that he, he was concerned about concerning wealth before, but he also demolishes several of the myths that we can tend to believe when it comes to wealth. And, and I want to quickly go through four myths um, because if we continue to hold on to these myths, we will rob ourselves of the blessings that God is extending to us. Myth number one, wealth brings satisfaction. Wealth brings satisfaction. Verse 10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is Hevel. There's no substance there. I mean, I don't really need to explain this much, right? Because we see it every day. Though we see it every day in the lives of other people, we can still buy into that myth ourselves. If I just had a little bit more, then I wouldn't worry about that thing or I wouldn't worry about that thing. And the weird thing is, the more you have, it seems the, the struggle stays the same. Money, like music, in my opinion, is amoral. In and of itself, it has no moral position. We need money. God doesn't say money is evil. God says money is and can be the root of evil. It's, it's a reality in our life. Just like music. I, I don't think music, I don't think melody is neither right nor wrong. It's what are you doing with that melody? What are you doing with that drum beat? Are you glorifying God? Are you, are you singing and repeating lyrics that are glorifying to him? Or are you glorifying, you know, hedonism? What makes it either good or bad is the attitude and the subjects it is approached with. And oftentimes when we get more money, we just want more. Professional sports bears this out. I mean, everyone wants, nobody's satisfied with the contract that they have. They just want a little bit more, a little bit more, or a lot more. You don't pay me this much, I'm not going to play football for you. And what happens? They pay them the money. And they continue to play football, and they continue to find out if they're not playing football to glorify God, that... It doesn't matter how much money they have. They're always going to be dissatisfied with their life. You see, the total, it just doesn't matter how big it is. Money can never bring satisfaction. And we have to be careful not to fall into the enemy's traps. The second myth is this. Money solves every problem. Right? I mean... 
The government is notorious for this, right? Let's throw money at it. We'll give you more money. Money will fix it. Money, money, money. It doesn't. It won't. Money is not the answer to every problem. As goods increase, verse 11, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? If I just had a little bit more money, life would be easier. If I just had a little bit more money, I could do the things that I want to and not worry about how much is going to be in the bank account at the end of the month. It, it seems like it doesn't matter how much you make. It just isn't enough. If we're only living for money. But if we are enjoying wealth as God blesses us, and we're, we're all blessed at different levels, and, and we're enjoying that as a channel of the grace of God into the lives of other people, there will be satisfaction. There won't be necessarily fewer problems, but we will recognize that our money is not the answer to those problems. That is Surrendering myself to, to Jesus Christ. Money doesn't solve all of our problems. It just begs for more. No, money doesn't solve every problem. A third myth is that wealth brings peace of mind. Verse 12, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Hmm. More decisions, more responsibility, more pressure, more things that need maintained and taken care of. Oh, wealth definitely doesn't bring peace of mind. It, I know some people, though, who would say, I'd, I'd like to try it. <laughs> right? I mean, again, if I could just have a little bit more, I, I think I could do better than the, than the next guy. No, it doesn't bring peace of mind. It's just like the teacher says, their, their abundance permits them no sleep. Um, why is that? Why does abundance not provide sleep and comfort and peace of mind? It's because of the last myth. That's that wealth provides security. It doesn't. Who has a 401k today that is worth a lot less than it was a year ago, right? Now, who looked at their 401k a year ago from five years ago and went, wow, look at all that new money I have in my 401k. I didn't do anything for it. And now the reality hits that, you know, those things go like this, right? Now you hope they go like this. Sometimes I don't think they do. I mean, I, I know people in the room who have, they would say, I, I lost everything. I know they would also say that if I hadn't lost everything, I probably wouldn't be sitting in this room right now, worshiping God. I would still be worshiping myself, doing that only for me. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, verse 13. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. 
Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain? What do they profit? What advantage is there since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 6, 19 and 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. See, it doesn't provide security. It could be taken away at any moment. We could lose it all. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. You you see, we have to have a kingdom focus. Sacrifices of praise and prayer and vows and service. When it comes to wealth and the blessings of God, we must focus on how we can be a channel of what God is blessing us with, not a reservoir. God God puts that stuff in our lives. And then Solomon concludes again for us how to not live only under the sun. I said there were six times. We've seen two. This is the third one. Verse 18, this is what I have observed to be good. That it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them for this is their lot. What we have, he has given. Can't forget that. We can't forget that. It is... (laughs) It is good to enjoy life. I, somebody, uh, I don't know if they're in the room today. Uh, I don't think so. Somebody posted a picture uh, last week or two weeks ago of, of their uh, frisbee next to one of the holes. I don't even, I think it was at, I think it was at the South Park in Torrington. He got a hole in one. You know, it was a picture of him getting a hole. It was his first one. And I'm like, Yeah! And, and his comment was, it's Hevel. <laughs> it's Hevel. And, and I just, yes, if that's what you're living your life for. But when you are given that gift, that can't be a hole-in-one on a Frisbee disc golf course, enjoy it as a gift from God. Not prideful, ha-ha, I got one you didn't. None, none of that. But Solomon's not saying don't enjoy life. Solomon's saying enjoy life that God is giving you. Just remember that he's giving it to you. It's not all us. Because that's just under the sun. God gives us all these things along with a designated time to time frame to do them. So we need to take heart. As Jesus said, he has overcome the world. And we can have peace in that. It's our lot and it's a good lot. It's not easy and it's hard. There's reality in that, yes. But as God gives it to us, it's good. Moreover, verse 19, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil. This is a gift of God. 
We can truly enjoy them, but, but we must enjoy them with gratefulness and thanksgiving. Not a look at what I've done, not a wow isn't, but, but instead a wow isn't God good. He gives us wealth and possessions. And, and then verse 20, they seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Yes, yes, I want to be occupied with the gladness of heart because I recognize that all of that comes from God, even the ability to enjoy the things that he has blessed us with. So if you're struggling with feeling like I should, I should think this thing is empty, ask God to help you enjoy the things that he's giving you. We do need to enjoy life. Being glad in my heart for what God has done for me and salvation first and foremost and then in the gifts and blessings of life. I, I want to close this morning with our memory verse, Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Uh, worship team, come up here. You see, if we focus more on the gifts than the giver, we're guilty of idolatry. If, if we accept his gifts but complain about them, then we're guilty of ingratitude. If, if we hoard his gifts and will not share them with others, we're guilty of indulgence. But if we yield to his will and use whatever he gives us for his glory, then we can enjoy life and we can be satisfied. My prayer is that as we go through these last two songs, that you'll think about the words, that, that you'll ask the Holy Spirit to clear your heart of distractions and that we will be able to worship and honor and praise God in reverence. Let's do it.